Welcome to Uncorked, another podcast brought to you by Team Corker. I am Steph Corker, here today with Steph Jagger, who I will refer to for the rest of the show as Jagger. And I am so thrilled. You feel like a bit of a long-lost sister, and I am really excited to riff with you. So thanks for making the time, Jagger. Well, it's so nice to be reunited with our sisterhood, (laughs) our long-lost sisterhood. I love it. Oh gosh, you're like the big sister that has gone off and done such crazy, cool, epic shit in the world. And we had the pleasure of spending the weekend together at the Newness Retreat in San Diego earlier this year. And you gifted us with your book. And I have to tell you that I have not been able to put it down. It's almost done. And I just ferociously read through this story and then I was teaching a spin class and I was telling the spin class how excited I was about this incredible human who I just met who went on this epic ski trip and the spin class was like I read her book and I know all about her and she was in the Whistler newspaper and so this really feels like a celebrity chat and um gosh so you've skied around the world and we're going to get back to that but do you want to tell us how you spend your days now Oh gosh, yeah. First of all, thanks for this is great. I'm so looking forward to this conversation. How I spend my days now, I uh, the, the the quickest way of answering that is I do what I'm called to do. The the more tangible way of answering that is sometimes you can find me writing if I'm working on a book or another large writing project. Sometimes you can find me doing one-on-one coaching with various people. Sometimes you can find me laughing with my best friend as we kind of concoct and craft different energetic programs that we run. Sometimes, a lot of times, you can find me walking in the woods and like following the scent of eagle feathers. Mm, (laughs) uh, The biggest way of saying is that I spend my days trying to really, really tune into my own intuition Mm. to guide me, whether that's creatively, business-wise, in my own life, et cetera. Amazing. Yeah. It sounds so intentional and so conscious of you. And I recognize how easy it is for me. As you say that, I can recognize how easy it is to be on autopilot or like Google calendar pilot. It's like <laughs> Google calendar tells me I'm doing this next. And that was so beautifully put of like, wait, pause. You do what you're called to do every day. That's amazing. Well, I mean, I mean, I'm human too. <laughs> like, I have Google Calendar things also, <laughs> but but I do. But yes, I do try and be uh, intentional about that for sure. Amazing, and you currently are living in Bainbridge, Washington. Yeah, on Bainbridge Island. We moved here just over two years ago, and are just loving it. Which is a switch from the land of Southern California. Yes. So. Yeah, we lived in California for about seven years and then moved back up to the Pacific Northwest because it felt like home. Like I grew up in Vancouver. So this felt geographically and just nature wise so much more like home. Mm. Did you feel called to come north? Yes. Okay. Got it. Enough said. Okay, so we need to hit on your book for a moment in time. It's crazy to think that it's been almost 10 years ago that you embarked on this adventure. And I would love to riff on the story that was the year that you skied around the world and how that has made an impact on the last decade. 
and then the my favorite question for Jagger is what's next (laughs) so I'm going to give the Coles notes that you spent time in Vancouver getting ready to ski around the world and you did that and we'll make sure there's a link in the show notes for how everyone can go and buy Unbound the story you wrote as a reflection of that trip. Mm -hmm. And of course it was about more than skiing and your self-discovery that you share is phenomenal. What was the moment in time that you decided that that was how you needed to spend a year of your life? I write about it in the book a little bit, but uh, because we're doing Cole's notes, I was working in Vancouver. My life was good, but not great. And I really believe in great, or I wanted to believe in great. I, you know, when I was in my late twenties and I was up at Whistler skiing with a handful of friends. We were having a blast. It was one of those epic days, like just a perfect midweek, nobody on the hill, lots of powder. It was a beautiful day. And I turned to my buddies on the chairlift and, and said, you know, wouldn't it be great to do this for a whole year. And they like laughed like, yeah, right. Jagger. Like, what are you talking about? And long story short, you know, I, I kind of said, right, that's a, that's a stupid idea. And then I got to the top of the list and I had seen it many, many, many times before, but for some reason it like really struck me when we got to the top of the lift and I saw that raised restraining mm-hmm. device sign, and I really stopped and paused and thought, what, what is holding me back? Is it my mm-hmm. own beliefs? If it, is it finances? Is it that I don't, I'm not a good enough skier? Is it that I don't have avalanche training? Is it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I thought, well, if I could kind of create a list of all of these things and kind of see if I can knock them off, I wonder if I could do this. Mm. And I, and I, and I left for the trip a year later, but it was really that, of course, there's lots of things that lead into those aha moments that happen in our lives but it was really that moment that I decided, yes, I'm going to do this. Now I didn't know, I did not know what I was really truly signing up for. Like only the big old universe knew that part. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I don't want to give too much away of the book, but one of my favorite questions to ask after people do epic things, sometimes it's a race and sometimes it can be in this case, is to sum it up with the highlight, the low light, and what did you learn? And I know there were so many of all of those things for you, but if I were to ask for just one, as you reflect back now, 10 years later, what was the highlight, the low light, and what did you learn that year that you skied? around the world. I think the highlight and the low light and and what did I learn were probably the same place and same moment. You know, I think of my time as I skied around the world, one of the places that I went to is New Zealand. And and that's actually where the book opens. And then of course you kind of go there again throughout the journey of the book. And that was such a, it's such a devastatingly beautiful country, but it provided me with an experience that was kind of allowing me to come face to face with the ugly, you know, it was a real turning point in the trip. So it was such a stunning and beautiful place to be, which was a total highlight and somewhere I had always wanted to travel and, and exceeded my expectations in its beauty and its people and all of this. At the same time, I found it to be a deeply, deeply confronting place and time in my specific journey. So there was a lot of lows of, uh, that I experienced on the trip in New Zealand. And, and the, learning, the, the learning was you need to let go of your ego. You need to know where it is. You need to know what it's going after and shooting for. And you need to 
come to terms with whether that's what you really want or whether that's fear-based or whether that's keeping you small or if it's limiting. And is there something else you could be listening to, to take direction in your life? Mm. I didn't know that answer until that point. And, And I don't know if I really knew the answer until after I wrote the book and kind of got clarity on it. But that was a very, that was a big learning moment for me in New Zealand was you've been listening, you, you've been taking dictation from your ego for your whole life. What if there's something else you could learn from and, and take direction from? Right. Yeah, that's pretty um, small and basic. Kind of big stones on a Sunday, right? It's, no. Yeah. <laughs> Magic. The, oh, what is driven by ego? So this was 10 years ago. This was epic. What was life like on the other side of this journey? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a really good question because I think, I think a lot of people think that people who maybe have done a race or an epic trip or have gone to the Olympics or have had some massive, you know, success maybe in business or, you know, have done some big thing that there's, there's oftentimes uh, a crash after, right. like directly after that, and I certainly experienced that. So that so the one and two years following the ski trip were really really tough for me because because it was the ego. It was it was okay. What what am I going to do now? Like what mm. now that I've learned all of these lessons? Like how do I even construct life around this? And and so that that took some time. And then you know after that it it as it began to kind of come back together in a bit of a different way, you know, the puzzle pieces all forming a new picture. It was that, it was an exploration of exactly what I said before, you know, what else is out there that could help provide me with some direction in my life. And, and that started to crack things open for me in a much bigger way and still continues to, to this day in regards to intuition, ideas around co-creation, creative muse, you know, that, that yes, I am this amazing human instrument that, that has this great, you know, body and mind, et cetera, that can, that can do a lot of things in the world, but like what other, what other intelligence is out there that I could tap into that would really create amazingness and magic. Mm -hmm. So that's been, that's been the, the kind of focus since the trip for sure. Right. So you came off the other side of the crash and what were you most inspired to do or to be next? After the crash, well, you know, I mean, it's a little bit of the crashes are messy, right? So I don't, it wasn't very, it wasn't clear to me. The the whole picture wasn't clear, but the Mm. puzzle pieces were. So what I was inspired to do was just pick up one puzzle piece at a time. And not, I don't know, not even inspired to do like, you know, stuff almost forced to do. Right. Like, I don't have a whole picture here. I don't know what's next, but I can see this small thing in front of me. And I do feel somatically, intuitively in my body, et cetera, that that's the right next step. And so right. let me take that and then see what opens up from there. Hmm. And that was for someone who's, who was, and in many ways still is, extraordinarily goal-oriented, achievement-oriented, wants to do and accomplish and be big things in the world, that was, a whole, <laughs> <laughs> that was a whole new way of going about things, but really was kind of my 101 in intuitive ideation and co-creation and visioning to, to, to get me to where I am now. Hmm. So is that, was that the time in life that you, dare I say, reconstructed your relationship with goals? Yes, 
Yes. Okay. Because Steph led us through, Jagger led us through a phenomenal exercise at the newness retreat about Mm -hmm. um, re-engineering and what do you call it? Switching, flipping, and reversing it (laughs) 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 or something like that. Um, And I thought, I thought it was so excellent as a self-proclaimed gold junkie myself to look at goals through a different lens. And can you, yeah, share with us your relationship with goals now, how you go about setting them? Yeah. I mean, the quick and dirty is that, that goals in most of Western society are set with the following equation. If I do something, I will then have something. When and only when I have that thing, can I be something, right? Um, if I do a thousand squats, I'll have a Kardashian derriere. When and only when I have that derriere, am I allowed to call myself desirable or worthy of love? Mm. Let's just use that as an example. So that's a real predominant through, through all of our goal setting, professional, personal, physical, athletic, et cetera. And that's, the, that's what I used for, for decades. And, and to be honest, like accomplished a lot. Bravo me. (laughs) (laughs) I found myself at the end of each of those goals, really almost disregarding them and, and, and immediately asking like, what's next. And the what's next wasn't coming from a excitement and a curiosity, like, Oh, what's next in the world? It was coming from, well, that didn't get me what I thought it was going to get me or didn't feel very good or wasn't, I don't know, didn't prove that I was enough in the world. So like, what's next? And I, and I, oh, I just found that to be really, really difficult after I completed the, the ski trip, which was gargantuan. Yeah. You confronted with that question yet again, when really, really, I thought this was going to be the thing that answered it. I, I was devastated. And so over that course of, of a couple of years and piece by piece by piece, kind of working through life, discovered that for me, there was a different equation which goes a little something like this. If I be something, if I don't put the way I want to feel and all of those, all of the ways that I am in the world, et cetera, off into some, you know, future unknown, if I, if I try and live into those now, then that's going to lead me to doing dramatically different things. And then doing the different things is going to lead me to having different things. So be, do, have. Hmm. And, and that's, um, that's been a script that, you know, again, I'm a human being and, and 30 years of doing it one way, uh, you know, juxtaposed against 10 years of doing it uh, the new way, you know, it's not a flawless routine, but I, I really do my best to, to use that, that second equation to guide me. Yeah. I'm a bit of a math geek and I can't help but look at the equation and think like, I really like the left side of that equation. <laughs> and that feels like a much more balanced equation. The left side is greater than the right side combined. Now, when you approach goals this way, do you approach goals annually, Steph? Annually? Yes. What time frame do you exist on? I, I, that's such a great question. I don't, I, you know, a lot of people, this is going to be confronting. I think I, I don't exist on time frames with my, with my goals that way anymore. Okay. Like, because if I'm, if, if I'm, if the goal is really being a certain way, like it's now. Right. Now I have a company, right? And so I've got a program to launch uh, every, let's say every three months, or I've got a book deadline and three, like, like there's timelines that exist in, in my life. But if, if the goal is, is to be and feel a certain way in my life, like the question becomes, how, how do I step into that in this, in this very moment? Hmm. So, so the time, the timelines, they, they just kind of fall into place from there. Hmm. 
I love that. But the reason I asked that question is I was just curious if, if there was, dare I say, any parameters and look at me trying so hard to put a goal in a box with a four walls and you're like, no, no, it's the ocean. It's free. <laughs> um, when, you know, things shift, seasons change. We wear different things in different seasons in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. And, you know, if you have a desire to be happy or be joyful, that doesn't need an expiration or a deadline or a date that you're deciding to decide that you don't want to be joyful anymore. Yet I wonder, like the cadence of how do you allow yourself to shift and change? I think when the being shifts and changes, mm. you know, there's, there's a, there was a period of time where I was struggling with this kind of way of setting goals when I was putting together a book proposal. And I kind of had it in my head, like, okay, I want the book proposal done by a certain time because that makes sense because this is when agents look over book proposals and this is typically when books are bought and blah, 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 blah. But, but the writing wasn't happening and it wasn't the, 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 the say, maybe I wanted to feel like creatively alive. Okay, maybe that was the being. Mm. And that's what, it just wasn't there. Mm. And so I had to tell myself, you're working on, the, you don't know what it is, but mm. you're working on the wrong timeline. And so what is it right now that, that you have on your plate or that's in your vicinity or that looks attractive to you would feel like creative aliveness? Working mm. on your business? Oh, okay. Switch gears. Work on your business. See what right. happens there for a bit. So it, it ebbs and flows based on the things that, that I think that are calling me and, and that do feel like creative aliveness for me. My experience has been as, as long as I'm following that, the other timelines to be quite honest, kind of magically fall into place. Like, oh, look at that. The universe gave me a lot of creative aliveness around my business. So I wrote a whole program and, and then launched it. And now that's bringing in income. And now I feel all this creative aliveness to work on a book that I don't know if it's going to pay me or not. Isn't that convenient? Right. The other way around. Like yeah. the, the more and more I, I tune into this and follow this, the more and more I feel the support financially or otherwise, et cetera, time-wise is all just there. Right. That's a tough thing for people to kind of buy into unless, unless there's been experiences with it. But I, I think we all have had experiences with that, whether we call them coincidence or whether we call them kind of guidedness, you know, maybe it might depend on the person, but I follow the feeling. Yeah. Well, I think if we're awake to acknowledging how things happen and not just brush it off to you know, oh, serendipitously, this happened today. It's like, no, there's been some intention behind these things and look how it's exactly. all come to be. Yeah. Yet yeah. instead we can want to suffer up a boulder. <laughs> like, a tangible example was as I was working on that, on that book proposal and was really struggling and it wasn't feeling good, I thought, okay, I'm, I'm just going to pause. And, and there was a voice in my head that was like, oh, if you pause, your editor's going to be waiting, you're going to be want this, et cetera. But I just, I really tried to kind of, that was fear and, and I'm not going to listen to you. Thanks so much for your input. Yes. Um, and then lo and behold, two months later, that editor told me that she was moving to a different publishing house. <laughs> if the proposal had been done and she had accepted it, well, either she would have stayed out of loyalty and I don't want anybody to do that if their, if their career expansion is at hand, or she would have left partway through a project had started, which would have been probably devastating to both of us. So, right. so there's, Ultimately, it's kind of like, oh, there was a reason. (laughs) Until she lands in this new place, you know, pitch then, et cetera. So so these things tend, for me at least, is the the further I lean into them, the more support meets me. Mm, Beautiful. 
I love that. I can't help but ask, you really renovated my thinking around the question of what's next mm -hmm. and how we're so obsessed with what's next. And mm -hmm. I have told many people your story and instead of what's next, it's what is it time for now? Mm -hmm. And I just can't help but ask, inspired by you in not so much of what's next for you, but what is now for you, Steph? Mm -hmm. That's such a beautiful question. The way you've reframed that, you know, what is it time for now? For me, I feel a pretty, pretty large amount of creative expansion, especially around, you know, the writing project that I'm doing now. So that's a focus. I've also had a lot of creative expansion and productivity over the last handful of months. So I, I suspect what's coming now after this exact now is, is likely rest and recuperation and so that that typically means for me that i'll be in my quote-unquote backyard pulling up blackberries and just going on hikes and walks and being with nature etc so i think those two will follow one another is my is my guess but right now it, it still feels like a, a pretty expansive and productive and creative time so I, i've been really soaking that up mm, beautiful Beautiful. It comes, it goes. When it's here, you drink it up. Exactly. We wrap every podcast. I hate when the clock tells me I have to stop, but we do. And the final question, as you know, is what is currently making your heart beat faster, Jagger? Currently making my heart beat faster. I got to tell you, this is going to sound like a ooey wooey answer, but I'm, I'm so ooey wooey these days. Like birds of prey. Like I could Whoa. watch eagles and owls and stuff for like ever because I think they really have lessons for us in efficiency oh I just think they they like wow look at what that animal got what it needed so quickly without overthinking mm -hmm. a thing it just I don't I find them to be very inspiring so I whenever I've seen and, and I see a lot of them because I live on Bainbridge Island but, but I, I just I look for them recently mm. and do make my heart beat a little faster because I think there's a lot of lessons in that for us around efficiency and in, in, in abundance and being able to attract and, and get what we need to survive. So, Wow. You know what? I don't normally do this, but I need to just add in an antidote to that because recently was the Chinese Lunar New Year mm. and it's the year of the rat. Mm. And I read an excellent little story that the rat is actually regarded in the zodiac culture as being very smart and very resourceful mm -hmm. and as the person i am i associate a rat with being in like the quote-unquote rat race and you chew 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 and you work so hard and when i think of rat race i don't think of ease and i don't think of i don't actually even think of resourcefulness i just think of like this little dumb rather dumb critter mm -hmm. continuing to do the same thing over and over and over and over and over again and then we get tired of it well the folklore is in fact that when set out to race the rat jumped on the back of an ox to carry it through the race when it got to a river it stayed on the ox to past the water and went on to the other side, jumped off the ox and sprinted to the proverbial finish line, winning the race. Right. And I just think there's a little rat that can be <laughs> in us that does not need to keep chewing and can be utterly resourceful. And who knew? Yes. 
you know and, and what an abundant conservation of energy to to, to yes it's, it's 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 a great example that's very very similarly about my my obsession with birds of prey at the moment so oh i just love it well i am so grateful for your time i'm so grateful for your creative expansion and expression i hope everyone will read unbound i can't wait for your next book to come to print and thanks for being so bold and delicious and unapologetic in the quest for living such a great life. I am completely inspired. Much gratitude.